0: Welcome to another episode of Fleet Masters. This episode, we'll be talking with CLC's Executive Vice President of Intermodal, John Mazarek. We'll be discussing the current issues with the ports and subsequent equipment shortages and the importance of cybersecurity. Let's get started. Thank you for joining us today, John. Thank you for having me, Matt. I'm excited to talk to you about Intermodal. So let's start at the beginning. Could you explain what's happening at the ports right now and how that's affecting our industry? I can, and uh, to coin a phrase from the Weather Channel, and I'll insert
1: my own verbiage, but I think we're in an intermodal bomb cycle. And it is kind of funny, but what does that mean? That kind of means that all aspects of the supply chain are in disaster mode right now.
0: Yeah, there's definitely no shortages of challenges in our
1: business. (laughs) We have a lot, and uh, you know, the immediate question you asked me was about the port, but in addition to the port, there's trucking operations, There's asset operations such as ourselves, in addition to D.C. and warehouse distribution centers, which are all experiencing stress points. When we start off looking at the ports, in general, the ports are set up to operate at about 85% utilization. Well, with about a 20% increase in import volume, that utilization at most ports and the chassis pools operating with those ports are at 100% utilization which really puts stress on the overall supply chain for a number of reasons. On the port, there's a, several major factors of why the ports are backed up. One, obviously, is the overall volume. Another issue is the on-terminal dwell. Prior to COVID and these excessive volumes, the on-terminal dwell in some ports was anywhere between three and five days. We're here in ports are seeing their on-terminal dwell anywhere from 13 to 20 days, depending on the port. In addition to that, you have street dwell in the ports. What happens with the street dwell? Usually in most ports, three to five days for the container to gate out loaded and gate back in empty. Well, those containers are now staying out on the street for up to 18 days. And what that does is it depletes the chassis pool or the chassis fleets on terminal or near terminal and puts stress on the amount of chassis that the truckers have to deliver the containers.
0: So how has that changed the life of the drage operators, you know, as opposed to the port operators? It's an
1: interesting question. And what happens is, for the reasons we just talked about, when the ports get backed up and congested, it causes longer hours for a driver to pick up the container off the terminal. Drivers are really imposed by the hours of service by the Department of Transportation. If they're spending four or five some cases six, seven, eight hours to pick up a container at any given terminal. That that's taken away from their hours of service. Now they actually pull the container off of the port. They get ready to deliver it, let's say a hundred miles away, they won't have enough hours left in the day to safely deliver that container to the customer and bring the empty back. So it's really congesting and backlogging the trucker's deliveries. In addition to that, now we have the warehouse and distribution centers, Matt. So When the truckers are actually able to pull the the cargo off the ports, one of two things happen. Just as the ports and the local truck yards are full, those warehouse and distribution centers are full. And when they're able to clear some of the backlog at the warehouse and distribution centers to take in more appointments, they run low on labor. Manual workers, warehouse and distribution, like many aspects of the supply chain, is seeing a crunch for labor, and it's very difficult for them to, to staff their facilities. So you have the ports that are backing up with volume, uh, which causes the truckers to be delayed, which requires the asset leasing companies such as CLC to buy more chassis. Um, The OEMs who produce those chassis are running low on parts predominantly because of the ships being delayed from Asia. And then of course, the warehouse and distribution centers are very full right now and also operating at 100% utilization So the trickle effect, it just goes around and around in a circle. And we're right now in what that term is bomb, intermodal bomb cyclone where we're all experiencing
0: tough times at the same time. So it seems like everyone's always talking about the problems that we have right now, but no one's really talking about how we're gonna fix them and the solutions. So, you know, have you seen any improvements in the near term of the situation? Do you see any down the road? And you know, what do those solutions look like from your perspective? All good questions.
1: And the positive news I could deliver, Matt, is I do feel down the road, we're gonna have some solutions. For the very near future, I think it's going to be difficult, not impossible, but difficult to get out of the situation that we're in. But there are some ways we can tackle it. Uh, the first and what we've seen is some port diversification from the actual customers. So. If you're shipping a lot of your cargo, let's say into one or two major ports on the east or west coast, and there's an opportunity for you to potentially uh, diversify and discharge your cargo maybe in a smaller, uh, better set up port, either north or south of those coasts where you're operating, that's one thing that, that we've seen shippers doing. The issue there is much like the larger ports, Once those vessels go into the smaller ports and start calling on those ports regularly, unfortunately, those ports are running into the same situation as the larger ports. And it all revolves around a lot of the same issues. One of the other solutions that I think is that the industry, all of us, are gonna have to um, really invest in more containers, invest in more chassis, and invest in more distribution in warehouses. In the near term, the the ability to procure containers and chassis is going to remain much like it's been, Matt, for the last 12 months. However, we are already seeing that there's some relief in our ability to procure equipment for 2023. So I do believe we'll be able to ease up, um, ease on the asset availability and utilization for next year. As far as a DC and a warehouse, the real issue uh, with those is those take a couple of years to build out. And whether it's a container, a chassis, or a warehouse, Matt, all of them are at an all-time high. And everyone is skeptical to invest in long-term assets at an all-time right. high price.
0: Sure. No, that makes sense. So if I heard you correctly before, you talked about how other ports could potentially support some of the larger ports and help spread the freight out, I guess, you know, for lack of a better term. So do you think that there are some ports that are currently underutilized and that by virtue of some of these customers, if you want to call them that, going to other ports for their cargo and diversifying, that there's actually excess capacity that's not being used right now? That's an excellent question. And I really do,
1: and I have really seen in my mind, the ports working together, uh, whether it's interport, meaning they have multiple terminals in a port, that they could share the stevedoring depending on if there's availability to work one vessel to the other. But in the specific case that you mentioned of uh, moving to smaller ports from larger ports, I do think that the port community has somewhat worked together and just tried to alleviate the stress off of themselves where possible. Now, there there could be other factors, Matt, such as is cargo moving from one port moving to like the inland, the Midwest, the Ohio Valley. Does the port that you're switching to have on dock rail, and are they able to accommodate the inland movement or the intermodal movement of that cargo inland? I'm not sure on a case-by-case basis, but to answer your question, I do believe that um, I do believe that the ports are working together at a greater degree than I've seen in the past, and I think that they are trying to utilize any possible berthing that they have. Uh, to take, con- to take uh, a little bit of congestion and ease off of the other ports.
0: So if, if I'm understanding you correctly, it sounds like it's an uphill battle, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. I think so,
1: Matt. Like we said before, in the very near term, it is an uphill battle. But for 2023, uh, the procurement of chassis, trailers, and containers, both from ourselves and from what we hear from the market, it seems to be a lot better next year than it is this year. We already know we would be able to procure more assets. And I believe that's gonna be the case for the industry. On top of that, a lot of the projects for inland warehouses and distribution centers that were started a couple of years ago, they are actually under the way. There's a couple large ones opening in the interior of our country in 2023. So I think those two factors will definitely see some alleviation of the congestion we're
0: going through over the past two years. Thank you for your insights, John. I now wanna turn our attention to a different threat to our ports, cybersecurity. In an article by Cybersecurity Guide is explained that between June 2020 and June 2021, companies in our industry experienced a 186% increase in weekly ransomware attacks. In addition, Western Value Shipping and Logistics recently released an article highlighting that cybersecurity attacks happen in ports often because they do not have access to the personnel needed to manage the systems or because the employees they do have are not experienced enough to handle the systems and networks. John, what are your thoughts on this? Matt, I've always been given three key tips to cybersecurity.
1: Keep your hardware and your software up to date, make sure you have quality cyber insurance with a reputable company, and make sure that you limit uh, the access to your data to a very small number of people within the organization.
0: John, I think those are three great tips, and, and not only for you know, the ports and the cybersecurity issues that they're experiencing, but for companies in general. And I think you know, one other point I'd add is that you know, training making sure your employees are able to keep their eyes and their ears peeled for these types of issues. Because again, our inboxes are getting flooded with these communications now more than they ever have been. And having employees that are diligent and understanding of what those types of attacks look like can really help to minimize your exposure. Yeah, I completely agree, Matt. Now let's pivot to our Future Forward segment for today. Today on Future Forward, we're discussing the future of our industry in regards to autonomous vehicles and the potential cyber threat that comes with the use of autonomous vehicles. John, what are your thoughts about autonomous vehicles and the pivot of the industry towards that as a solution for the driver shortages and some of the shortages just in general?
1: It's a good question, Matt, and ultimately, I think it's the best solution that we go to autonomous vehicles. I do believe we're a ways off from getting there. However, we're we're in an industry where the owner operator is rapidly aging out and they're not being replenished at the same level, so we need Truck drivers, and if they're autonomous, I think that would be an ultimate best solution for us.
0: I think those are all great points, and in the vein of the cybersecurity segment we just did, I mean, isn't that a terrifying prospect?
1: When you think about all the hackers and you know, people with IT capabilities with ill intent, it is frightening that potentially an autonomous vehicle that roughly weighs with the tractor and payload, 80,000 pounds is driven down the road by someone who has hacked that. It, it is a frightening proposition.
0: Right, and then you look at the car industry and kind of how um, how the dealers have really clamped down on that, You know, because as the systems have become more sophisticated, the dealers don't want you working on any of that stuff aftermarket. Granted, there's a financial reason for that. But at the same token, you know, there's a lot of fear that someone who isn't authorized to work on that system gets in there and does something they shouldn't be doing. And, you know, the same is gonna to extend to autonomous trucks and, and auto and and truck dealers. And
1: Matt, that's a great
0: point because the, the the car makers
1: that that have the have those vehicles equipped with those sensors, they know ahead of time when it needs M and R. They know ahead of time where and when it could potentially fail, and it gives you a warning before doing so. I do believe that we need to get our industry and our assets into those same class that we could have that type of security on our assets. I think it would benefit everyone in the supply chain. I agree.
0: That being said, you know one of the main focuses and reasons that autonomous vehicles is a ways out is that they're working tirelessly to make sure that that technology is rock solid, that there aren't ways for people to infiltrate it, and that that's a huge part of the QC process and just making sure that we can take that technology into the next echelon and really, you know, kind of roll it out to the rest of the industry.
1: I completely agree with what you're saying, Matt, and as far as cybersecurity and the developments in that aspect of our industry. I mean, you know, just, we spoke about a lot of interesting topics today. And in the, one of the things that you said in the very near future, you know, it's kind of more of the same. However, if we're looking downstream, whether it's the ports, the trucking companies, the asset leasing companies, distribution and warehousing, everyone are putting solutions in place. I say there's more collaboration in between ports, in between terminals, in between intermodal companies than we've ever seen before to really help and dig out of this collectively and together. And that I really do believe is a positive thing for our industry.
0: Thank you, John. That was really insightful and and everything really has been today. I mean, I personally learned a lot and I think our viewers did as well. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us again, John. And for our viewers, thank you for watching. For more information about the topics we discussed this episode, click on the links in the description. Until next time, I'm Matt Gore, and this has been another episode of Fleet Masters.